Hey everyone, welcome to the Tonecast. This is Brian Porter. We are at episode 76 and today we're going to be talking with Nick Scout of Scout Guitars in Orlando, Florida. Now this is going to be an interesting conversation just how he has handled the uh, last year and a half, two years of craziness for the gear industry, what he does in his shop, what kind of repairs he does, a little bit about the guitars that he makes and all that good stuff. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Before we get started though, I want to mention our pickup chooser. That's a form that you can fill out on your site. You can let us know about your guitar, about your amp, about your pedals, and the sound that you're kind of chasing, and we can help you match up some pickups for that. Now, the cool thing about that is after you fill out the information, we're essentially going to contact you back, and we're going to write you a prescription for your guitar. So that might be, okay, I need a Strat to sound like this, and we will recommend one of our sets from our lineup. So it takes a little bit of the confusion out of the process of picking out your next set of pickups. It also just makes the process a little bit more uh, streamlined for us as well. So we know exactly kind of what you're after as opposed to just guessing on that. We, we look at the gear, we look at the sounds, we look at the artists that you mentioned, and that gives us um, kind of a narrow field. Really the way that we design pickups is, is based on sound profiles, based on how they fit a need with your guitar. So that's a great way to do that. I'm going to include a link to that in the bottom of the show notes. If you want to fill that out, we recommend you filling that out one, you know, one chooser per guitar if you have multiple guitars, just so we can organize that information. Someone from our team will contact you and recommend you a good set. Another thing I want to mention is we've got some cool gold foil prototypes in development. If you follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Porter Pickups on Instagram. You can see some of the gold foil prototypes that we've got there. They are pretty cool, and I think you will enjoy the look on them, we're going to have all sorts of different cool looks and tones, and and we're going to throw some in a guitar here pretty soon in the next couple of weeks and get a chance to show you guys uh, how they sound. So we're we're all kind of waiting in anticipation. We think we have a good idea of, of where we're heading with those tone-wise, but we're definitely looking forward to just to having that um, those gold foils out and just to be able to uh, kind of develop something new in terms of look and in, in tone. So internally, they're going to be quite a bit different than some of our other pickups, they're still going to be a humbucker in design, but we've got some new uh, new platforms and new uh, new ideas, new wire gauges, all sorts of cool stuff under the hood there. So I can't wait to share more about them. We'll probably have an episode or at least some sound clips in a future episode just about those. So I look forward to sharing that with you. Well, let's jump into our conversation with Nick from Scout Guitars. Here we go. All right, so today I'm joined on the phone by Nick Scout from Scout Guitars in Orlando, Florida. Nick, how's it going today? It is going pretty pretty darn well. I'm excited to have uh, have you on the podcast. We took a little break from uh, interviews, so it's been a while since I've talked to someone other than myself on this podcast. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So first off, I guess let's start with uh, the classic uh, introduction question. I'll let you talk about who you are, what you do, and kind of give us the the update on what Scout Guitars is. Yeah. It's um, it I, it's fun. Like that seems to always be the first thing I can always think of to say is it's doing this is so much fun, man. It's it's mind blowing, and I I realized this the other day, uh, just kind of by accident, is I've been doing this half of my life, which is almost absurd. But I think because I was doing this so young, I was able to like kind of keep this. Uh, youthful ethos about the myself and the company and it's like 
I mean, it's kind of like punk rock, but like super professional punk rock, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I don't know. I think that's probably the best, the best way around uh, about talking about it, you know? So. Nice. Nice. So you've been doing this, you, how did you get started in the whole guitar repair slash guitar making business? Did you just kind of have this dream and want to go for it or kind of take me back to the very early days of that inspiration? It's not as, it might actually be cooler than it. It is, but how I describe it is I I always start with I I was not a good kid. Like, I was a very bad kid. And because I was actually so bad, I got kicked out of high school. And when I got kicked out of high school, I found a part-time job at a banjo factory. And that is where it all started, was I was in there, and I think I was just kind of sweeping floors. And I swept floors for barely, barely a month. And I would just like listen to everyone playing and plucking these banjos. And one day on my break, I just like grabbed one and I picked up on some of the finger rolls. And the the main boss walked by and was like, "Who are you?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm just you know this dude hanging out sweeping floors." And he's like, "You're playing banjo better than these guys. Like, come on, man, let's get you on the assembly line." And so at like 15, I was on the assembly line at this banjo factory working on like banjos and mandolins and dobros and stuff like that. And I think. Because I was not a great kid, I didn't have too much idea of what I could do, you know, like what I was going to do without a college degree or what I was going to do without this or that. And, you know, I I love music and I thought maybe if I had to be forced to do musical things, that would pretty much push my hand into being a musician. So I, that was kind of how it started. And then I left the banjo factory and took a, an apprenticeship doing like swirl guitars, like Ibanez Gems and Universes. Nice. And then, yeah, from there I got a job as a repairman. And then from there I got a, and these are, this is all across Florida. So I'm like traveling <laughs> everywhere to do all this. And then um, after my apprenticeship, I did the repair thing. And then I actually got a job at Blue Man Group as their instrument tech. And then I was doing stuff kind of part time. I was reading a ton, I love to read. So I was reading a ton of luthier books. I was watching everything I could on YouTube. I was talking to people. I, you know, asked as many questions as I could to all the people I saw doing this. And I'd send emails to builders and I'd, you know, messages on YouTube to people who were doing stuff. And then I guess it was about six or seven years ago. Now I was like, I'm already doing this as a hobby, like in my backyard. Like I might as well just commit to it. And so I did. I just, you know. I gathered all the money I managed to make between working at Blue Man as the instrument tech and then, you know, doing guitar stuff on the side. And, you know, I, I had some other people financially help me out and I bought all the good machines I needed to get going. And I just hit the ground running, man. So that was it. That's crazy. So take me back to the, uh, you're, you're kicked out of high school or you're out of high school and, and, a banjo factory is hiring. So take me through that process in your, in your head of like, this is what I want to, you know, this is what I'm going to go for. Like banjo. Um, That that just seems like so far away from maybe where your head was at at that point. Right. Yeah. But the, the thing that kind of ties in is, you know, it's banjos, mandolins, dobros, acoustics, stuff like that. So like, I think I saw it as like, at least it's music. Sure. You know, like I think really that was it. Like I never thought I would play banjo. And for a little bit, uh, I actually like fronted a band, like a folk band. Like it was like a 13 piece folk band. And we were like playing like banjos, accordions, mandolins, like just like this really big orchestration of sound. Um, I did that for a little bit and I never thought I would have done that. Cause like I said, I was like, 
I was like a Mohawkie kind of punk kid, like <laughs> kind of listening to all that oi oi stuff, you know. And and I think I think more so now than any time before, like we have so much access to new music, you know. And back then it was like I think I only picked the avenues of access I really wanted instead of like really being open minded to it. Um, but slowly but surely as the year started to progress, I started to think like, hey man, like wow, there are like, I, I found gateways in all of this. Like, it wasn't like I, you know, went out and just started listening to like really traditional bluegrass. It was like, I started finding these like cool, like folk punk bands, you know, and that was like the gateway to get me into the appreciation of just that classic, you know, hillbilly kind of banjo, you know, three finger claw hammer stuff. Um, so I definitely had to find these like gateways into appreciating it. That's you know, cool. uh, I think finding this like punk band with a banjo player and then, finding you know what influenced them and then what influenced the people who influenced the people and the next thing i know is right back at the classics so i think it definitely wasn't my first choice but i wasn't good enough to be a guitar teacher you know i didn't i i was getting my diploma my ged so it wasn't really like i was top picking for anything else you know Mm -hmm. so wow that's crazy so that's that's quite the interesting start in terms of you know working your way through the different stages there and then kind of coming to that realization that man, I want to do this for myself. Um, so talk to me about that transition. I'm always interested in that. Um, obviously going through that myself, it's been a while now, but, um, that transition of like, okay, this is kind of making some money. Do I want to do this for real or not? And you kind of have to get to this point where, you know, it's got to go past the hobby stage. So talk to me about maybe that phase of your life where, where you're making that decision to just make the jump to, to go for it. Yeah. I, um, I was w- just working at Blue Man. I was, you know, making pretty damn good money. So I, you know, I was doing pretty okay for myself. And I really think what started it was just having access to that small group of people. Because I'm in Orlando, Florida. So Blue Man Group was at Universal. And when you think Universal in Orlando, you also have to think of Disney. You know, like all these places have musicians. And I kind of had my foot in the door here, you know, like for like, there's like a little bit of clout, I guess, that goes around with being the tech for a larger um, group like that. And so I was doing it on the side anyways, and it was just easier to meet everyone. You know, all the all the like real giggers who were literally getting paid to play, they have to treat their instruments like if they were a truck driver, right? If you If your truck's broken, you can't make the delivery and you can't get paid, you know? So these guys are not afraid to invest in their instruments. And I think because of that, I just have instant access to meeting all the people. And I think where it really became uh, clear to me was I was you know, at Blue Man and I was bringing uh, like just a small setup stuff to work with me at Blue Man because as a musical instrument tech, you have a lot of downtime. You know? So I just was able to do all the work I had to do there. And then also because of that kind of work, I had access to all the tools or I could bring them from home with me and then just set it up. And when I realized I was bringing three or four guitars all the way through Universal to Blue Man to work on and then taking them back, like it was great at double dipping. But at one point, I remember thinking like, I wish I could just stay here and not go into work and just work on my my stuff, you know, like work mm-hmm. on these guitars or, or these repairs or something, you know. And the second I started yearning to keep doing what I was doing um at home in my shop, instead of going into Blue Man, I was like, you know, I think I might have to assess this at some point. And that was it. It was really that assessment. And it was a, a, a tough jump to make, man, because it's scary. Like, 
you know, to make sure you have the clientele uh, and they have enough instruments to make sure that your work is better than everyone around you, you know, like to, to do all this kind of stuff, it's a big risk and it's a huge financial risk as you know. So it's like, you know, to, to sit down with a partner and be like, Hey, so I'm thinking about doing this career jump where I won't be making that great of money. I won't have health insurance yet, you know, but like, (laughs) just, just let's get past, let's see what it looks like a year from now, you know? And and that's, that's a, a big thing, but I think I love problem solving and stuff stuff of that nature, which is probably why I work so good as a luthier and a guitar tech. Um, so I think I saw that as a problem, of, and I had to find a way to kind of fix it. You know, like I'm. It's not that I was unhappy, but like I saw that the problem was my attention was kind of diverted, and my passion was somewhere else. So how do I, you know, fix that? Yeah. So, how can yeah. you? And then how can you turn that, like you were saying, into? into a job because that's not always uh not always possible or easy i remember that feeling of like it's kind of like if you want to if you we want to do this we got to do this it's kind of like we can't really sit at this weird like halftime point for very long because it's it's almost worse you know i'd rather it be yeah. like one you know you i make one set of pickups a month and like it's just that's what it is versus this like halftime thing i think there was a couple of years where we we're floating around in this halftime thing and and it was just a mess, like trying to trying to figure it out because you're looking at the numbers. You're like, we're far away from where we need to be. But what <laughs> right. if we had the time to go get that those sales? You know, what if we had the the free time to make it happen? You know, and so I, right. I, I love that part of the story for every single person that I talk to because um, I know there's a lot of people listening that um, and we get this all the time. How'd you get started? And it's like it's a really complicated question, right? It's not <laughs> right. It's not like someone came to you and said, here's a guitar shop. I want you to run it. Mm. You know, it just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, some people, you know, and I, I look at people who maybe get like a huge artist early on or something and they're just busy right away. And, yeah. and they, they don't really have, it's not really a question of, do I make the jump or not? It's like, it's kind of sitting there for them versus yeah, the like whole- working hard, you know, and kind of busting your butt to get it, get it done. Yeah. It's a very arduous process, man. Like it, it, it truly is. And on top of that, it's like, I, I preach this so much here is I am a, you know, not, not arrogantly or anything like that, but confidently, like I am a really good guitar tech and a really great luthier. Like that's what I'm good at. What I'm not good at is being a businessman. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, like my heart, I I never grew up thinking, well, obviously a lot of things, but uh, grew up thinking that I would own a business. You know, I, and my passion isn't, owning and running a business, but my passion is guitars and building guitars and working on guitars. And that has honestly been the hardest thing for me is, is, you know, managing employees and, and actually doing all that like paperwork and like that office stuff and worrying about, you know, who, what artists can we talk to? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like I used to love coming in and just like having a list of things to do that was only guitar related and then just doing them, you know, but now it's like, you know, balance books and then, you know, <laughs> replying to emails and, and stuff like that, which I love. Like I can sit and shoot the breeze with anyone around here. And I really enjoy that aspect, like that customer face-to-face talk hangout thing. But like, it's everything else that's involved, you know, paying rent on the building, <laughs> you know, doing the taxes. It's like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. The, the, the up parts of everything, right. It's like, oh man, right? I got <laughs> to suck it up and do these things. It's like, this is not like I'd rather go 
tune a seven string guitar than I would, you know, pay, pay the bill right. or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. Um, last year, we kind of uh, all went through the ringer in the music industry. Obviously, we're still kind of in the middle of some of the the mess with the virus and, and things like that. And and I talked to a lot of people last year from repair shop guys to guitar companies to artists and just kind of got their their feel on how they survived. And and many of them were right in the middle of it when we talked to it so to them. So it was it was definitely like a well, we're not through it yet kind of thing. And um, I'm just curious kind of as as things started shutting down and you started having more challenges last year, what are what were some things that you did to uh kind of keep the lights on and kind of get creative with, um, with restrictions and with, um, you know, just any challenges that that brought, um, to your shop. What what were some things that you did? Man, I, at one point I think I looked into piano tuning. (laughs) I, uh, we, we weren't hurt that bad, but the problem was at the start of the virus, uh, I guess it would have been March. We moved and that we moved cities and that was a, like a huge blow to us. And it, was a, it proved to be a very bad decision of mine, which, as you can tell from this conversation so far, I make a plethora of. Um, but it, it was tough because I moved the whole business to Gainesville, which is a college town. And that virus hit. And one, college kids, they ain't got no money. They're buying PBR and they're eating ramen. You know, They don't have right. money yeah. for anything else besides books and partying. And everyone else around there, like on the outskirts of town, were these older people. And they, you know, because of the virus, they knew that they would be higher at risk and everything of that nature. So they didn't go out and they didn't want to do that kind of stuff and and meet up to drop off guitars or anything like that. And I think the the biggest thing I realized was like, I I like to have this... um, uh, Like this this ceiling. And I kind of want to stay on top of that. Like... I, I, don't, I will work on, you know, like string changes. Like right now we don't offer just string change. Like we don't offer that um, because we're just doing so many like high end boutique repairs. Like we're splining necks and matching paint. We're, you know, doing stainless steel refrets. We're, uh, you know, just all, we're recontouring bodies and repainting and we're doing that kind of stuff. So like at, for the longest time to keep, make sure that we were keeping that like level. And I know this sounds a little pretentious, but to make sure that we were keeping that level of clients, how we wanted, we kind of dismissed a lot of that small stuff that, you know, we, sure it could have been easy money, but if it took us away from making that big thing or getting something big done in time, you know? Um, so one thing we did was we opened the doors back up to that kind of stuff of like quick string changes or, you know, a ukulele string change or, you know, like uh, these just really small things um, just to kind of scrape up, uh, you know, a couple dollars because we were also downtown Gainesville. So downtown anywhere normally is not cheap. So we were hemorrhaging money just to kind of stay afloat. But yeah, so I, I, I don't really know, man. I, I think, you know, thankfully, uh, saving accounts exist, you know, and I think that was probably a, a lot, yeah, uh, very helpful trying to adapt when you can't really predict what's going to happen or what's, you know, what things look like, right? It's just, how do you, how do you make it work? And similar to us, I mean, we pretty much, you know, in a short amount of time lost any potential drop-ins to the shop and uh, we were forced to kind of just focus on the online stuff. Thankfully, that's where most of our business comes from, but it was still a, you know, what are we going to do now? How do we, how do we make sure that, uh, you know, if, if, I was getting two or three people a week locally coming in and getting a pickup install done. 
getting a set of pickups, I've got to figure out how to do that. So we actually had kind of a uh, a drop off kind of thing set up for a while and kind of tried to get creative with it a little bit, but it's yeah. de- it was definitely a wild time. I think we're all kind of like looking at it, looking back, and it's kind of like you haven't really had a chance to stop and think about uh, the curveballs that were thrown at you by, yeah. by last year because you didn't have a choice. You just have to keep going. Um, but it was definitely a, definitely a challenge. Um, man, I w- I'm curious about maybe the, what would you say is the, is the, the mood or the vibe of kind of the musicians in your area? Are they, are they getting back to playing gigs? What's the, what's kind of the uh, scene looking like there? So here is amazing. And by here, I mean, Orlando, not Gainesville, cause we've moved, <laughs> uh, almost, I think it was only seven months uh, uh, into the virus after after we moved to Gainesville. So we were we moved we opened up here in Orlando in January. So we've only been here eight months, but we lasted only seven months in, in Gainesville before we moved back. Um, so that's how hard that really hit us. Mm. But what's so cool about Orlando is that it is literally like. Uh, b- besides I am under the assumption of, of LA and stuff like that, you know, those, those big, huge cities, this is like central Florida is like gigging central man. So like you have all the musicians at Disney, your Epcot, they all have bands. Uh, you have uh, the universal stuff. You have stuff like, uh, um, well, blue man group, you know, they shut down, so they're not quite here anymore, but all those guys are now playing in cover bands every you know Thursday to Sunday. There's a, cover band at every single bar and grill here, you know, and there's a ton of them. And then you have on the space coast, you have, you know, the beaches. So there's tons of singer songwriters covering Jason Mraz and Jimmy Buffett. And then you go Mm -hmm. to the other coast, there's St. Pete and Tampa, pretty much the same kind of people there. Um, and all those people need work and, um, they're, everyone's starting to get back into it. And also keep in mind, this is Florida. And this place is freaking crazy, man. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, all that stuff you see on the news about Florida man and Florida does this and Florida ruined it for everyone. Like that's us, unfortunately, you know? So it's tough to even say that there is, I would say a very light lull in a lot of stuff that is music based, but unfortunately, you know, blue man closed, um, Disney had to lay off a lot of musicians like these, these kind of full-time gigging people, you know, like they did take a, a hit and it's starting to get back. And I think people are so thirsty um, and kind of deprived for this live music thing that they're really going out in force now. Almost at like, op- almost to the sense of obligation, I would say. Like, mm. I, I, I don't try to, you know, kind of camel it, you know, like get enough, <laughs> you know. Because before, you'd have local bands all the time. They couldn't get anyone to go out to their shows. And now it's like, these places are packed again. So Yeah, so there's just been that like, you know, we we took music for granted, right? Like this last, yeah, exactly. last, and then it was taken away from us. And we're like, hey, wait a minute, I really like going to shows. I really like doing this, and and I think that that's kind of a one of the positive things about this is that like everyone's itching to get back and itching to play, and like you said, to to go to to go to concerts and do all that, and that's really exciting for the industry. I know that we we dealt with a lot of uh, guys that would have those bar gigs and they would play you know, a couple times a weekend and that was their gig money. And all of a sudden they yeah. didn't have those gigs. And then they're like, well, I can't buy anything now. Cause that was my budget basically. That right. was, that was my spending cash for my, my pedal habit or whatever it was, <laughs> right, yeah. you know? And so, so that's, that's part of our economy as, as, you know, someone who manufactures pickups and someone who does repairs and, and guitars like you do. Um, that's all part of the, the ecosystem. And I think we're all like, 
all right, let's get this, you know, let's get some of this back so so people, you know, can enjoy music again for one and then two for guys who who make a living off of that kind of stuff, like just so the money's kind of flowing back through through all the channels that we usually make it from. Yeah. That's I mean, that's on the nose, man. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. It's all it all takes, you know, everything adds up, right? It's it's like someone's got to got to feel like they've had enough gigs under their belt or I know guys that will Say, well, I'm booked out for the next two months, so I'm going to go ahead and buy something now because I'll I'll get the money back by playing the gigs. And that was that was gone too. It was sort of like the the predictability for the musicians who could kind of set their gear budget. Yeah, <laughs> um, that definitely became a became a challenge. Uh, I want to shift a little bit towards the uh, the guitars. So you also make guitars, um, and and maybe what we'll do right now is just kind of. Um, give you let you shout out your website. We'll put that in the show notes down below, so people who want to go to the website check out your guitars. I'll ask you some specific guitar questions, but uh, how can they find you online? Uh, it's you can go to scoutguitars.com, and uh, there you'll see the models we either have or had available. Um, normally, when they sell, there's a little sign that says sold on them. Um, but we've been doing a uh, we just started a run of the Scut, which is our Telecaster, uh, which has. The uh, Porter, the T9s, yeah, um, in them, and man, that thing—that's one of our best sellers. It's that Daphne Blue with that rosewood pickguard, and that one's really, really awesome. Um, and then the other one we do a lot of is the IO2 model, which is the Jazzmaster with the Strat configuration. Um, and that one, man, we've sold a good chunk of those. So, kind of because of uh, our repair department, we've been slower in the build section, but we're we got a batch of twenty brewing right now. So, uh, yeah. And one of the things that we do probably the most, just like the day-to-day stuff, is we're like super on Instagram, you know? That's the craziest part about our business is we actually found we do best on Instagram. You know, like we get so many people sending us stuff from all over the state and kind of lower Southeast because of Instagram, really, um, which is pretty neat. Um, and I think a lot of it is just like on display. You know, we do a repaint or a refinish or something like that, and it goes on there and people see that you can do that or... Uh, you know, we do, uh, one thing that's really popular is the, uh, some of those Rickenbacker bases have a lot of truss rod problems and man, you do one, <laughs> one Rickenbacker base, everyone who has a, a Rick that has that same problem is like, Oh, Hey, I saw you do this. Like I'm going to ship it down, you know? So Instagram has been really friendly to us and it's cool just cause like as a, as a whole, um, if you are on Instagram anyways, and you're scrolling through, even if you don't necessarily need something at the time, it's just seeing that name scout over and over again, you know, like it kind of adds something in there. So even if you don't even play music, but you, for some reason, follow the page, when someone says, oh, I have a broken guitar, all of a sudden you already know like, oh man, like I see this guy every day, you know, or this company every day posting about all the stuff they do, you should reach out, you know, and we found that to be, man, like just huge for us. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the digital referrals and the word of mouth yeah. still seems to still seems to be the best thing because people are giving you a recommendation and it's not it's not a marketing message coming from you. It's it's someone else and they trust them and and then yeah. you deliver and it's great because they'll come back usually. Yeah, one thing that's in, it's it's kind of just like a an online portfolio that everyone's already on anyways. You know, when you really think about it. So, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's just a so if. if at some point, someone wants to see your guitars, they can look back and see the same model in different configurations or different pickups or whatever, and that's totally cool. Yeah, so it's, it makes it really easy, you know, like very rarely um, do we get people to be like, hey, do you do this? You know, most of the time they're like, hey, I see that you do this. Can I send it, you know, or can I bring it in? So 
that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so let's talk a little bit about guitars themselves. So, when you're building a guitar, what what are the elements you like to put into that? What makes a good guitar? What makes a great guitar? What What are the things that you kind of put into the uh, the Scout guitars that maybe? And I want to say set you apart, but what's what are the unique factors that you kind of put into those uh, those instruments? Um, the one thing I think that probably everyone gravitates to as a, a whole is just kind of the aesthetic, you know? Um, these are kind of classic Tele and, and Jazzmaster and Strat uh, looks. Um, just really small things added here or there. And I think people appreciate that probably first off, you know, like, we offer them in colors that you probably aren't going to get. Um, it, it almost is like if you bought one of these style guitars, it's like all the mods you want to do to it, we have already done. <laughs> so that seems to be something just like, hey, instead of me buying this or doing that and then having to spend an extra one grand in changing the pickups and getting a new pickup and getting it repainted and, and you know doing this inlay work, it's like we've already done that, you know, like... So I think that is something that almost everyone look at. Like, oh, beautiful guitar. Yeah, that's, um, that's but cool. As far as, like, the insides of it, yeah, the, the actual insides of it is, like, man, we, we take a long time with um, the, the necks and just really making sure that, like, the stability is going to be there, that um, it's, it's not going to be too heavy, but it's not you know, you're not going to go to pick it up and accidentally toss it into the roof. You know, it's like just trying to find all these sweet spots. We actually spend time doing that, you know, instead of like, oh, well, here's a body blank. Get it on thing. You know, it's like, uh, don't get me wrong. We definitely have body blanks that don't make the cut or we have neck blanks that don't make the cut. But it's because we have that, that we're a little more um, picky about that kind of stuff that from a player's perspective, I think that's really cool. And when, you know, when you offer complete custom guitars, that is... People love that, man, because it's like we can do our line, you know, which I think we have four or five of. Um, but really, we get a lot of work to do just like kind of weird stuff, you know. And, and one of the examples I always mention if, if anyone talks about this is we had this guy who's he was a large man. He was just like a big dude. And he needed like a really, really big belly cut for his telly. And so we built him one with like literally the biggest belly cut ever. <laughs> but like he could not get that guitar done unless you got it done custom and nonetheless to have a shop for him at least locally he could go to and like have his stomach measured to put this cut into you know so stuff like that is like i want to say the attention to detail about it you know it's is very cool to a lot of people like it's it's kind of like going to chipotle you know where it's like you go in and you're like i want this uh, and i want this actually a little more of that um okay and i want to add you know it's like kind of just doing that instead of like going and being like i want this pre-made you know, burrito from Taco Bell, where it's like you can add and take stuff off if you like. There's an upcharge or something like that, but with, I can't believe I'm talking about Chipotle now. But like with Chipotle, <laughs> you know, it's hungry. like yeah, you just like you you have control of it from start to finish, and that's what's cool, you know. Yeah. So so, so meeting the players' needs, meeting their their um, goals and inspiration. That's kind of that probably is ultimately bigger than. The instrument itself for you, right? Trying to like build them a lifetime instrument, build them something that's like a, like I hate to say, like an heirloom, but but that's the way yeah. some people treat custom guitars, right? Like I'm not Absolutely. getting, I'm not getting rid of this thing. Like I want this to be right. I want to look at it on the wall every day and be like, man, that is so cool. Yeah, that's honestly, man, that's 100 percent it. Yeah, and I think 
because I mean, when you think about it, like these are not cheap guitars, you know. Um, and it's when you're spending that much money, you want to feel confident and you want it to last. So it's like, you know, think if you go to, you know, you go to Ikea and buy a bookshelf and you move it twice and it falls apart, you know, like that same thing can kind of happen with guitars, you know, like obviously being very dramatic right now, but like you go and buy a $150 guitar and you, and maybe it stays in tune for the first week you have it. And then you have to go and spend, you know, another $200 to make it stay in tune. And then, you know, it's the frets are messed up. So now you're spending another, you know, $300 on a refret. And next thing you know, you could have just bought a really good guitar that didn't have those problems. All the money sunk into this thing, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So yeah. And and that's, those happen with guitars. You know, there are brands out there where it's like, oh, I got this, but the pickups don't sound good. So the first thing I'm going to do is buy this $300 set of pickups. And then, you know, the, the, the nut is getting stuck. So let me take it in and get it set up. You know, it's like, Man, that adds up really quick. So it's like, why just, why not just cut the fat? You know, <laughs> like, let's yeah. just get straight to the point. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know that when, like, a lot of times we'll buy, we'll buy demo guitars for the shop and we don't want to buy, you know, we're not going to buy all custom shop or really fancy demo guitars because we're not afraid to, you know, work them. And we're obviously pulling them apart and putting our pickups in there. But there's times where you buy them and you kind of get a dud. You know, you're like, man, oh, this yeah. would be a really great guitar just to throw a strat set in. And we got that happened to us last week. We got an older, older Fernandez guitar, and the truss rod was stripped out when we got it. So it's like, <laughs> all right, well, this is the this is the set action that it's got, and hopefully that lets you hear the pickups when you come in to try it. You know, right. yeah, <laughs> man, it's always it's always a, an adventure, but but there's a good a good thing with the challenge in there. Uh, I want to talk too about. Uh, um, maybe let's go with the craziest repair that you've ever done. If you can think of it, the craziest repair, man. Um, well, so we very recently, very, very recently, it actually hasn't even been picked up yet. Cause the guy's out of town. We did a double neck, like Ibanez gem thing. Um, and kind of what happened was, Many, many moons ago, this guy bought this body off Craigslist or something, and it was like a super light double neck thing. And then uh, then he bought the necks from someone else on eBay. And so his whole thing was he was going to make this double neck parts caster. But he wanted it to be half swirl, half fabric top. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then he got this body, and it sat in his garage. And the necks sat in his garage. And I guess his wife put some stuff on it. Ended up, it had uh, one of the um, the tiger's claws for the Floyd, um, and it ruined that. So that you know needed to be replaced. But that was actually it was done. I'm sure at one point very well with the actual wood of the guitar. Um, but I, there was no way I could rebuild it, man. I I tried probably three or four times. I I got some of the the high points of the claw off, and I you know, use some, some quick wood to try to like rebuild it and reshape it. And it just kept chipping off because it's just too thin every time. So what I ended up doing was 3d printing a claw to drop in there. And it was very, very cool. Like it was very neat. It just took a lot of time. Uh, I had never 3d printed a part before, so I had to get some help to do it and, um, work with some other people. And that was really fun. Replaced it. It definitely looked better than the original, but then on top, once that was in, there was still everything else. And the pickups were different than the pickups he supplied were different than what was already routed. So we had to reroute 
the pickup cavities, but like what he had them routed for was an odd shape anyways. So then there was a little overhang and I hate when stuff like looks messy or sloppy or like, you know, anything like that. Like it's just, I, I can't handle it. So it was like, I had to find a way to add some wood back in to cover up these spaces and then route everything. And I had to do that for four pickups because it's a double neck and <laughs> the wiring and then the, and then the actual, the swirl and the fabric, I swirled it one time and I loved it. I was like, man, this is a good looking swirl. And he hated it because there was too much of a, uh, a certain color in it. And so I was like, okay, like, well, I'll do it again. So then having to take all that swirl off and then, but not touch the fabric, you know, <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh. So we got all the swirl off. We did it again. And I didn't really like the second time. He didn't like the transition from the swirl to the fabric the second time. And then I did it a third time, man. And I was just like, just so exhausted with this thing at this point already, you know? And uh, then I hated the third time, but he loved it, which is all that matters to me. You know, if you like it, man, cool. But like, I looked at it, that swirl and I was like, man, like that first one was so good. And this one's so not. And, you know, like everything just kept getting worse and worse about it, how everything had to be wired, how he wanted, you know, these uh, rechargeable battery packs, but like all this stuff is kind of coming in last minute, you know? So it's like, oh, I want this. And it's like, oh, well, we already have painted. We can't route again. You know, it's like, we're not going to route through the swirl now, you know? It's like, what, what are you talking about? You know, so we just kept like adding stuff and changing stuff. And normally I, I'm not too down for that, but this was like, he had ha already had this and it just wasn't what he wanted. Plus he had had it for five years before it came in. So the whole thing was just a mess, man. And, and, you know, the necks were super fat and whoever made the scarf joint did a very, very bad job. And it was like, well, how do I fix that? You know? <laughs> so it's mm. like, we reshaped this neck. One was a six string with a Floyd and one was a, a 12 string. And he wanted, uh, he wanted to put the, uh, the locking nut as you should, uh, of the Floyd on, but the guy who built the neck made the whole, th uh, the whole, um, fretboard was way too thick so the nut set way way too far down and then to have to build that up it was like just it was so much work and i was like well we'll have to pull the frets or and sand the fretboard down and then that's going to be a refret and it was like you know then there was a you know he's like well man this is a lot of money and i was like honestly if you just got this built from us from the get-go it probably would be about half this because when you're modifying stuff it's always a little more expensive than just doing it right the first time you know right. so if I route for a pickup the first time, I put the template down, I you know bore it all out, I route it. But like here, I had to make a special template. I had to add wood in, you know. So, anyways, that thing was the bane of my existence. It was a good <laughs> test in patience. It was a good test in learning and a good test in teaching and dealing with customers. And I would not do it again. Um, I think now I have a, a little more just. Um, not knowledge of my limits, but knowledge of my patience with something like that, you know? And, um, yeah, that was definitely the worst, the worst thing I'd ever done. Wow. So. That's uh that is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I, who, who buys a double neck body off of eBay or whatever? I like that's just, that's crazy, right. crazy to me. Like I, I don't, I just, maybe that's just not like normally what crosses my mind and coming up with a vision for a, a project, you know, <laughs> but. Right. I, I think I would grant a pretty big amnesty if he got the necks and the body from the same person, you know, like that's okay in my book, but like just getting two things that are not compatible and then making them compatible, you know, it was that, that was, you know, rough. So. Wow. That's crazy. Well, 
That is a wild story for sure. Um, I want to end with one final question here before we uh, we jump off here. Just thanks for thanks for being on the show. Um, this is kind cool. of a a big picture question for you, so I'm asking you to predict the future, um, if you will. So, are you I'm ready? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> um, this is this is something I've been asking a lot of people because genuinely, it's a question for all of us as we look at okay, what's what is our industry and where is it going? So, so the big question for you is, uh, where do you see the music industry, the guitar industry, headed for the next uh, little bit? Man, I I'm gonna be that guy because I'm gonna yeah, write it I, down. I'm gonna write it down once you answer it. So just okay. go ahead. <laughs> um, I think. I think it is going to be divided into two. I think it's going to be very um, vintage guitar. Uh, you know, you're going to have the—I don't say the the truest or anything like that—but you're going to have some sluggish um, people who are just you know think, which is very fine to think that they got it right the first time, and that's very cool. And then I think we're going to have a, a surgence of youth. Um, who is going to push in that Strandberg direction, man. I think that the, the advances in guitar, like the, I, I don't want to call them mods, but like I, I look at Strandberg and I think, man, like you guys made a lightweight guitar that sounds really cool, that intonates very well, that is, uh, you know, all these things uh, with that, that Endurnak, like stuff like that, you know, where it's like you put a fan fret and Durnak headless guitar in front of my dad, you know, like good luck, man. You know? <laughs> so I, I really think that it's going to, um, kind of, uh, uh, separate a lot of people. I think a lot of the people now who are just kind of dibbling and dabbling and, and moving around who, um, they're going to kind of stick to these classic shapes. And then you're going to have the people who keep pushing the limits of how do we get this guitar to play better, sound better and feel better. Um, and yeah, I, I make guitars and I recently bought myself a Strandberg because of a customer who brought his in and it, you know, man, if you're a gigger and you are, you, your job is playing, uh, six hours a day, um, you know, seven days or five days a week or something, you want that lightweight guitar. You want it to have many options. You want it to be comfortable. You know, you want your hand, you want it to be ergonomic. And I think that's kind of the future of, um, of guitar, and I think it's going to keep pushing in that direction. And I think they're going to have really bad ideas, like that the Gibson uh, electronic tuner tune self thing, you know, like the robot tuners. Like mm-hmm. uh, there are going to be some bad ideas, and but we're going to cut through them, and we're going to keep making advances. And then I think the other half is going to be, you know, the people who are like, man, you know what? I always played a strat. I'm gonna keep playing a strat, you know. So, and there's nothing wrong with either of those things, you know. I I love to see progress, but I also have a love for you know the old stuff like i have the biggest vinyl collection ever like maybe not ever but i have a pretty good vinyl collection but i don't listen to vinyls when i'm at work like we stream all the audio here and you know so it's like i can appreciate both things equally and they each have their place and i think that there's going to be this like kind of void in that middle ground of Mm. uh i don't want to say compromise i wouldn't call it compromise but i think each player is going to uh kind of to the side, unfortunately. I think it might be a little divisive, but yeah. I don't really know. You know, I'm no fortune teller. I'd like to think that uh, the best of people and just say that we won't get divisive, not like, you know, political or anything like that. But I have a feeling, you know, there's going to be the truest and then there's going to be the people who just, you know, kind of scoff at the other. So. Right. Well, and one thing, <laughs> one thing we've got with this industry is we, you know, what other industry 
uh, other than like, you know, material goods or something like has, has something been the same for 60 years or 70 years? You know, it's like it, maybe pencils or something like that. You know, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's like, no, I can't have an, a non-yellow pencil, you know, or something like that. Like it's the, the Strath and the, the Les Pauls and that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's, that's a blessing and a curse, like you said. Um, but I do, I agree. I think there's a, there's a wave of people willing to try new stuff. Um, you know, I remember one of the first times I played an old, an old Strat and I was like, man, this is such a cool opportunity to play. I think it was a 50, it was a 57 Strat. I think I, I got to play. Um, and I wasn't that old and, and I remember picking it up and, you know, some guy that was like, told me how much it's worth and, you know, he crapped <laughs> yeah. my pants. Right. And then, but I, but I started playing it and I'm like, this is really not that good in terms yeah. of just, just playability. I mean, it's the, the, the aura and the story and the, the age and the value is all awesome. But I just remember thinking like, you know, this is not this like playability wise. It's not that I you know, had a Japanese strat at this, at the time that played better. And yeah. good. No, yeah, I was just saying that, that that's kind of like that was kind of a kind of a relief for me in a way because it's like, oh man, if I could just get this, you know, strat like Stevie Ray Vaughan had or something, then then right. I then I'd be there. I'm like, well, like it really doesn't play that any better than the the one right. that's and you know six hundred bucks. That's what's so fascinating, man. Is like when it comes to the the vintage instrument world, it's like, oh man, this guitar would play great with a refret, but don't you dare refret it because you're gonna de- decrease that value, you know. And yeah. so it's like, there's this like weird thing about it where it's like, yeah, it sounds good, but like, man, my hand hurts when I'm done, you know, done playing it. But even just to the point of, of what you were saying is like of the industry, um, uh, the industry changing is like, if you think about Fender basing their guitars off of vehicles, look how vehicles have changed, you know? Mm-hmm. And like... So, and then if you look at Gibson, I guess, basing everything, you know, more on the furniture side, I guess, instead of the vehicular side, you know, like that has such a, a lot of the Gibsons just have these like, kind of classic looks, you know, and, but these fenders based everything off these, these cars, but man, look how cars have changed, you know, like, so to me, it's like, I kind of have that approach. And I also think that that's, um, you know, it, it, it's a changing industry and it doesn't mean we have to completely burn down the way things used to be because, Man, you know, we built upon that, but I think there's an acceptance of like the new wave of guitar, and maybe it'll stick, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know how much, how big of a history buff you are, but man, like look, look how we got to the guitar we have now, um, and then look how even the approach to the piano, you know, like like the first uh, uh, incarnations of the the piano were not at all what we know today, you know, and then even sheet music, like if the history of sheet music is so fascinating. And if you or anyone listening has not <laughs> looked it up, like by all means, look it up. Cause it's like, they didn't get it right the first time they kept changing it. There were people who didn't think it needed change, but you know what? Like look what we've landed on now. And it's like, a, a, we took all the good parts about it all. And some of the original things we kept, some of the original things we ditched, we kept adding until we got like, I don't want to say the perfect uh, um, thing, but, I mean, pretty darn good to where anyone anywhere speaking different languages can look at this and be like, oh, I know how to play this, you know? So I'm just hoping that it's, uh, uh, although you asked me what the future was, that's not the future I necessarily hope for, just to be clear. Sure, you know? sure. But yeah, yeah man, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I remember uh, one time uh, posting, uh, I put two humbuckers in a, in a sh- shop strat here and just kind of put some, 
some photos up, and I think there was like you know five guys who wanted to fight me after that. <laughs> you know, you can't yeah. do a dual humbucker strat. I'm like, well, it's got room for him. Let's let's see what happens and. Grab your torch and pitchfork. Yes, I know. I thought I was going to get uh, you know unfollowed on Instagram by a few people, but uh, that's yeah. that's all right. <laughs> that's 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 an example of kind of that that tradition thing and trying to you know push limits and break tradition. And that's that's that, that's an okay thing. And I think you're you're onto something about just kind of respecting the the tradition in the past, but but knowing that there's other ways to do stuff. I mean the the precision in which guitars are made now and. And even you know you can get a really good guitar for not that much money anymore, and that's that's opening the door for you know people to pick it up and not you know not quit because their guitar is poorly built. And that's right, uh, yeah, yeah. You know all these things that are they're good about the the progress that we've made as an industry for sure. Yeah, and I mean we're there's I mean that can break down in a ton of ways. You know, it's like um, uh, if someone says like, oh man, you can't play you can't play blues on, uh, you know, whatever guitar, cause that guitar is not made for the blues or, you know, like you can't play country on that guitar cause it's not made, for, you know, like even that kind of stuff is, you know, we see it all, all the time here, you know, um, with people who are like, ah, oh, you know, which is completely fine. Like things can definitely be tailored for certain sounds. Like we get that, you know, but like, if you really love country music, but you can't afford a telly, like that's okay, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, there are tons of guys not using tellies playing country music, you know? And it's like, I think it's just this like outside view on a lot of this stuff. And it's, I don't mean, it, it's, it's strange. And I, but I do get it. You know, I definitely, I definitely get it. It's like, uh, for me, like I think of like skateboarding, not in skateboarding shoes, you know, like, but there are tons of people who don't wear skateboarding shoes when they skate, you know? And it's just like, I think it's really a judgment thing. Um, but I think a lot of the times, like you listen to something, you know, like, uh, you know that that strat tone uh, of of, uh, of 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 Stevie. You know you you hear that and you know that that's a strat tone. But like man, you put two whiskeys and a, a, a beer in me and send me into like a, a dive bar with a cover band playing and they play that song. I'm not worrying about that guitar tone. You know, like I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna. I hope they don't kick me out when I run up there and grab the mic and sing off key. You know, like that's. I don't know, man. I think it's all perception, truly. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you uh, being on the show today. It's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed this. And uh, um, yeah, Nick Nick uses quite a bit of our pickups on uh, on his builds and in repairs and things like that. So if you are in the Orlando area or uh, you know Florida area and, and need pickups, he's your guy. He's definitely your guy for that stuff. Um, if you need any of our pickups, so Nick, thanks so much for being on the show today. And it's a great conversation. And uh, we look forward to. Uh, continuing to do some crazy projects with you in the future. Yeah, man, the pleasure was mine. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much.